Uh, thank you for that welcome, Carl. Um, I have to say it's nicer than the one you gave at Massey. I've just, um, I'm, I'm in my early 30s now and um, I'm coming to realise that the best years of my sporting career, because I really like cricket, are behind me and not in front of me. So I've been kind of wrestling with this a little bit and, and trying to find my identity beyond it. And as I was walking into Massey, I was thinking, this is great, you know, look at these young people that I'm a part of here. And, um, and so I thought, oh, gee, I wonder how I'm going to kind of find the person who's running this show, Carl. I've never met him before. And so I'm walking towards the door, and, and Carl looks at me and says, you must be Andrew. And I said, yeah, how did you know? He said, I can pick a preacher miles away. <laughs> and, and another part of me died that day, you know. <laughs> Looking like a preacher, so uh, thanks, Carl. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm thrilled to be part of continuing the series in Galatians, and I'm thrilled that as a as a community, you're working through patiently and attentively to one um, book of the Scriptures. Uh, I think it's a significant way in which God speaks to us. And uh, as someone who lectures and preaching, I'm thrilled to see a community that's willing to work patiently and attentively through a book of Scripture. Uh, so this morning we're looking at Galatians three starting at verse 6 and going to the end of verse 14. If you want to grab your Bible and turn with me, we'll read it together. Galatians 3, beginning at verse 6. So also Abraham believed God... And it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is anyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, Whoever does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is any, everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given, given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Let's pray. Loving God, as we open these scriptures which are your word, I pray that by your powerful spirit, you would bring them alive for us today. Speak them deep into our lives. Bring about the deep truths of Jesus. And I pray that you would bring them in shoe sizes so that we would walk them out. Amen. Uh, When I was younger... Uh, as I said, I enjoy indoor cricket, and I spent some time working at the, an indoor cricket centre uh, in South Auckland where I grew up. And uh, at this indoor cricket centre, um, it was around the time that Georgie Pie was selling the $1 pies. Um, so we used to go down to Georgie Pie and get 50 $1 pies, 
and bring them back and sell them, um, rightly or wrongly, uh, to the people who were at the indoor centre. Um, so one day we placed our order with Georgie Pie, $51 pies, thank you. Um, Andrew, can you go down and pick them up? Sure. So I went down to pick up the Georgie Pie pies, 50 of them, and uh, the lady behind the counter said, $51 uh, $1 pies, is it? Uh, yeah, $51 pies, thanks. She said, uh, is that dine-in or takeaway? <laughs> and I, I, I don't get it. I, mean, <laughs> I can eat a few pies, but not 50. Recently, there's been this big oil spill in um, the Gulf of Mexico that many of you will have heard of. Uh, BP have uh, this kind of millions of litres of oil pouring into the Gulf of Mexico, uh, damaging wildlife and bird life uh, and, and having a significant ecological effect. Um, the CEO of BP, Tony Hayward, recently um, went to England, to the Isle of Wight, to watch his boat race there in England. And for those who live in the Gulf of Mexico, they kind of scratch their head, particularly those who make their living from the sea. And they thought to themselves, you know, he just doesn't get it. While we're having oil lap up on our shores, he flies to England to watch his boat race in the pristine waters over there. He just doesn't get it. And as we look at the scripture this morning to the Jewish believers who are in Galatia, it seems to them that Paul just doesn't get it. When we read the scriptures, um, we have to remember that we're just getting one version of events, right? Paul is writing against his opponents who are in Galatia, but they don't get to have their say. It's kind of listening to one end of a telephone conversation when we read scripture. When actually those people who are in Galatia are thinking to themselves, Paul just doesn't get it. I mean, he's a loose cannon. And we're having to go around and mop up his mess. We're having to kind of send a cleanup crew like BP and fix things and, and mop up the mess that he's making. He's telling all these people, look, you don't need to worry about circumcision. You can be part of the people of God without it. You don't need to worry about the, the, the things that have marked us out as God's people. You can just believe in Jesus. And you're fine. And for the people in Galatia, good, believing Jewish Christians, this was anathema. How could Paul ever say that? I mean, Paul is kind of, the way he handles scripture in this passage, at a place like Laidlaw College or a Bible college, he's going to get a C- minus at best for biblical interpretation. I mean, the scriptures are clear that if you are to be part of the covenant people, you must follow the law and be circumcised. Yes, it's great that these Gentiles have become Christians, uh, but if they want to be fully-fledged children of Abraham, they need to follow the Torah, which of course means being circumcised. They had the scriptures on their side, and they had hundreds of years of Jewish tradition on their side, Paul's the one who's making the changes, not them. So that you read, it's very clear in Genesis 17. It couldn't be possibly clearer. 
Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is an eight day, who is eight days old must be circumcised. It's clear. It's cut and dry. It's very simple. This is what it means to be the people of God. This is where we get our identity from. And then in Deuteronomy, this passage that Paul quotes so strangely later on. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. So Israel are given the law. And if you don't follow the law, you will be cursed. The law is given with its blessings and its curses to mark Israel out as God's covenant people. It's clear. It's obvious. Paul is the one who's making the changes. These people in Galatia are saying to Paul, look, we're doing what we've always done. And I think Paul would want to say to him, say to them, that's exactly the point. You're doing what you've always done. Jesus hasn't made any difference. You're just doing what you've always done. You don't get it. And what you don't get particularly is Jesus and the significance of Jesus. You just don't get it. Jesus isn't an addition to what's already going on. He is its fulfillment. He is everything. Jesus is our great hope. In Romans 10.4, Paul says, Christ is the end of the law. He is its fulfillment, and the, the meaning of end here is, has, carries a few meanings. Jesus is its fulfillment, but it's also the goal, the end, to which it was all pointing towards is Jesus. Christ is the end of the law. Jesus, the Messiah, fulfills the law. And so the idea that it would be Jesus plus anything is anathema to Paul. He comes out swinging in Galatians because he sees that the gospel is at stake. The gospel itself is at stake. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the true covenant partner that Israel was supposed to be. Israel is given the law with its blessings and its curses, but because of its unfaithfulness, the law has become a curse. Christ comes as true Israel, God's faithful covenant partner to liberate us from the law and to be found in him now. We are called not to be found in Jesus plus anything, just Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the end of the law. God offers us himself as the answer to our unfaithfulness. Christ becomes a curse to free us from the curse. This is the judge coming in time who is judged in our place. God comes as the judged judge for us. 
This is why Paul is so unhappy with what's going on at Galatia. The Jewish Christians there are saying, yes, it's Jesus, but it's also the law. And he's saying, no, the gospel is the one place where addition is subtraction. You you add anything to Jesus, you've taken away from the gospel. The gospel is just simply Jesus plus nothing. That's it. It's actually grace, not law. It's, It's faith not law. And Paul contrasts um, living by, by the law, or as he says in the, in the passage, relying on the law, in verse 10, with relying on faith. And there are two different ways in which you get your identity. Is our identity found in the law, or is our identity found in faith in Jesus? Paul is arguing strongly that it is faith found in Jesus. Because the gospel is grace all the way down. It's all Jesus. It's all grace all the way down. And anything else wrecks that message. Anything added to that ruins it. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Do you get it? You've got to get it. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing because it is grace all the way down. All we can do is simply trust and give thanks for what God has done for us in Jesus. Paul, in his argument, he sees scripture, everything's different because of Jesus for Paul. He, he sees Scripture completely differently. He sees Scripture in the light of Jesus. Everything's different because Jesus is everything. And so he's willing to read Scripture quite differently. And he points back in uh, Genesis, before circumcision, back to when Abraham was called to be righteous by the Lord. And this happened before circumcision. Abraham was righteous because of faith, says Paul. And it's credited to him as righteousness. The true children of Abraham are those who have faith. That's it. And it can sound a little dodgy here that um, it seems like Paul's kind of showing Abraham as coming to faith or or being called righteous apart from Jesus. And it makes, you know, it should make you a little bit nervous and, um, you know, maybe want to go and tell Reuben on me. Um, But before you do that, I'd want to say, Abraham believed in the promise. We are able to believe in the fulfillment of that promise. That's what Paul's getting at. We have been gifted Jesus who is everything. And now we are called to simply have faith in him because it's grace. All the way down, it's grace. It's just grace. Do you get it? It's important that you get it. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And yet so often we try to kind of neuter the gospel 
um, make it a little more palatable. Um, so we kind of tame it. But the gospel is just about untamed grace, wild and free, 100% proof to be taken straight. Grace, all the way down. The gospel is grace. Before um, I came to Laidlaw, where I work now, I was in pastoral ministry in a great church in, in Napier, uh, a really wonderful church. And uh, this church, we, we were a nice church um, with good people in it, uh, fairly white, and we were all pretty well adjusted. Uh, that was until God started to kind of shake things up a bit um, and call into question our nice, well-adjusted, white, middle-class church. Uh, one morning, 20 children, 20, uh, kind of rocked up through the doors. And they were from the, we were on the edge of um, a suburb that was, had high numbers of gang members in it. And these kids were from the gang members. They were the children of the gang members. And they rocked up into church. And they just kept coming. And they would keep bringing their mates um, for all, no doubt, all sorts of reasons and not all of them gospel reasons, but they just kept coming. Uh, and they would, they would come through the doors riding their skateboards and they'd skate up and down the aisles um, and they'd bring a rugby ball with them and as we were singing, they'd be passing the rugby ball across, not just along an aisle, but across aisles. Um, I, one morning, uh, it got kind of nasty between a couple of them and there was a punch-up underneath our communion table. You know, things were getting kind of shaken up and mixed up. God was messing up our nice, well-adjusted church. Uh, we were having people come in who were not like us, who were really different. Uh, we had a guy who was coming on the other side of um, a pee addiction, having spent time in prison. And all that comes with that, all the difficulty that that, that brings, that doesn't happen overnight, that people are able to give that habit up. We had uh, people with mental disabilities and mental disorders coming. Uh, and, and not just one or two, we, suddenly it kind of seemed to increase by many. Um, and so it wasn't unusual in a service. Perhaps uh, I remember once when we were working through the book of the Revelation and kind of numbers and symbols and, and well, some kind of hairy things that are in that book. Um, we were reading it out. And one of the, one of the ladies um, who had multiple personality disorder um, got up holding her ears and ran out to the, of the church screaming at the top of her lungs. You know, this was upsetting the apple cart, big time. Um, it wasn't unusual with these people in our church to yell out in the middle of a sermon. Um, so you daren't kind of ask rhetorical questions because they wanted to answer. They expected to answer. It was normal. That's what they did. Um, and you couldn't always count on what they would yell out or what they would say. It wasn't always kosher and easy. Um, one time a friend, uh, one of our friends, Reese, a lovely guy, lovely, quiet, kind of humble guy, uh, walked into the church and one, of these partic one particular lady really loved to yell out and she was quite well known around town uh, because she'd go through the city, the, the, the main streets of Napier, and yell, hi lady, you look beautiful, you know, and a, that's pretty intimidating when you're right next to her. And um, so Reese goes in and, and she says, oh, g'day, Reese." And he says, oh, hi, hi, how are you doing? And she says, oh, great. 
you look wonderful today. He says, oh, thank you. In the Lord. <laughs> and, and, and so there'd been this kind of, uh, it was just changing the shape of who we were. God was mixing things up and, and, and changing things around. This woman had spent much of her life um, growing up basically on the streets and eating out of rubbish bins. Uh, she had a gum disease, and that made her smell quite bad. Um, and it took a significant effort to go and sit next to her because she'd yell at you in inappropriate times, and she smelled. Um, one time, some of the people in our church were raising money for Relay for Life, and they were selling, um, they were selling tickets to a breakfast and the, the money of the proceeds from that would go towards sponsoring Relay for Life. And our receptionist, because this lady would come in not just on Sundays, but every day she would come into our church. She just loved it. She was the first to come to church, and she was the last to leave. You know, so, so our receptionist thought, well, I'll buy her um, a ticket to this breakfast. Um, and then one of the organizers of the event came over and said, why did you buy her a ticket? We don't want people like her there. It doesn't help for us trying to sell tickets. She can kind of ruin the event. This woman was the first to come to church. I can remember walking into church one morning, unlocking it really early, um, and, and coming in. I must have left the door unlocked, and I went to the toilet and was coming out and not kind of looking where I was going. And behind me, this voice says, Hi, Andrew! And I was lucky I'd just been to the toilet. It was just so frightening. <laughs> It was just, I had such a fright. So she would always be the first person there, and she was always the last person to leave. Why do you think she was the first person there and the last person to leave? Because she came in search of grace. The gospel is grace all the way down. It's grace. Nothing but grace. Our nice, white, middle-class church was getting shaken up. And that church, I think, did amazingly well at embracing it. But, of course, people had questions. There were some furrowed brows. I had some furrowed brows. You know, parents with children, we had children, are thinking, you know, are my kids safe in the Sunday school anymore? A serious question. Congregants would say, when are these people going to stop yelling out in church? You imagine it. Every week, you know, you plan your service and someone starts yelling out in the middle of it. They interrupt it and they mess it up. Our hope was that these people were going to change and that they would change and become like us. That was what our great hope was, that they would become like us. How can we get these people? We'd have committee meetings. You know, how can we get these people to change and become like us was you know, the, the subtext of the agenda items. And yet, that doesn't seem to be what God wants as we read this passage. Because the gospel is grace all the way down. 
the gospel's grace. (laughs) And it does mess things up. It's wild and it's untamed. The church is called to be a community of the different who are made one by Jesus. And there's genuine difference. That's how it's meant to be. That's how God intended it to be. Because the gospel is grace. All the way down. Do you get it? The gospel's grace. All grace. All Jesus. All the way down. Our temptation is to say, oh yeah, yes, 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 it's all grace. And, uh, but, also, can you join this cell group? And look, could you brush your teeth a bit more? You know, could you wear some shoes on your feet and, and wipe your snivelly lo- nose? You know, it's just not that becoming for our nice, well-adjusted churches. And we move toward this thing of saying, yes, Jesus, plus these things. Yes, Jesus, plus hygiene. Yes, Jesus, plus a good job. Yes, Jesus, plus a nice church. Yes, Jesus, plus a well-adjusted family. When a solo mum comes into our churches and they bring with them a child, and in the midst of the service, the child begins to whimper and cry out, undoubtedly we will politely say to her, oh, some good news for you. We've got a crying room just at the back here. Do you want to go and have a seat in there? Yes, Jesus, plus a well-adjusted family is our subtle subtext. And yet the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. We are called as the church, and this is what Paul's getting at. The gospel is not just for Israel. That was never the intention. And Paul goes at lengths to show. If you look carefully in verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. This is not some nationalistic small gospel. This is a big gospel that embraces all the world and has significant demands upon us to be a community of the different. New Zealand is growing in its multicultural um, elements. And thanks be to God. But as churches, there's something to wrestle with as people from various cultures start coming to our churches. Most often when I listen to, to uh, the question of how we're going to deal with it, we think it's pretty simple. It's easy. I know how we can incorporate these people who are different from us. It's quite easy. They should become like us. They need to change. We'll stay the same. They need to come like us. And yet the gospel says perhaps we all need to change to become like Jesus and to be the community that Jesus always had in mind, a community of the different who are made one through him because the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. This is the good news. And you need to get it. We need to get it that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing because it's grace all the way down. And there are people out there who are desperately in need of grace. And there are people here who are desperately 
in need of grace. I am desperately in need of grace. The good news is that the gospel is all grace. All the way down. Do you get it? Can you see the kind of difference that makes? The demands it makes upon us to be a gracious community. It's wild and untamed and it will create havoc, no doubt. But it always has. It's always created problems. Read the New Testament, it's written because of problems. The gospel is all Jesus, all grace, all the way down. In his book called Christianity and History, um, Herbert Butterfield picks up, I think, on this one principle that he has. And I think it captures this passage so well that we've looked at this morning. Our identity is not in anything else than faith in Jesus. That's where our whole identity comes from. So Butterfield wrote this book called Christianity and History, and in it uh, he was the uh, professor of history at Cambridge. And in his research he searched high and low for a sure footing to put some faith. And he looked at history, and he noticed that history is a little bit random. And this is a, you know, he's a historian. And he notices that history doesn't go in a, in a clear direction. You can't predict it. History has a randomness to it. It goes down blind alleyways and blind corners that we didn't expect. It takes us into cul-de-sacs. Um, history has a randomness to it. So where are we to place our trust? Where? says Butterfield. We can't place it in history because history is random. So Butterfield searches and searches and comes up with one principle. And uh, this for me has been a guiding one in my life. It was given to me uh, when I was inducted into, into pastoral ministry and I've kept it very near ever since. Uh, it was from a, a, my mentor at the time. And Herbert Butterfield's principle is this. Hold fast to Christ, and for the rest, remain totally uncommitted. Hold fast to Christ, and for the rest, remain totally uncommitted. And my prayer is that you would get it, and it would get you. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for the good news of your gospel. The good news of Jesus. Help us not to contain it, not to make it more palatable. Help us to simply live into it and be thankful. Amen.